and welcome to The Station Tapes. I'm your host, Lewis Marks, broadcasting from the old train station just outside the great city of Philadelphia. If you're new to the program, The Station Tapes is a chance for us to interview some of the greatest musicians on the planet. Uh, our casual style allows musicians to open up, talk about music, culture, and life. Today's episode is all about Craig Waters and the Flood. They are peers and friends of some familiar Atlanta friends of ours, from Nick Rosen to Grant Green Jr., Greg Hester, and A.J. Gent, if I'm correct, uh, just to name a few. That's correct. All right. And the first single from Craig's 2022 album is going to come out this fall. Uh, it's titled A Love Like Yours. That's uh, on October 15th. So I want to welcome Craig Waters to the room. How are you? Uh, I'm well, man. Good to be here. Thanks for spending some time with us. Let's let's get a little taste here real quick of uh, this single, just so people can hear what, what we're talking about. And that's all the taste they get for today. Let's just give them a little bit. Yeah, by the record. By the record, exactly. That's what we're here to do. Craig, thanks so much for spending some time. Appreciate it. And I want to say happy birthday. Absolutely. Uh, today is, Thank is you. your birthday. Take a little time out. What are you doing on your birthday? I'm I'm gonna do an interview. Um I'm I'm hoping to keep it pretty low key. We were just here um figuring out the next mix that we're gonna send to you guys. Um stitching up the last re-remix on love and squalor volume one um so yeah basically just working man got in here pretty early today broke for lunch and not talking to you good to do well we'll, we'll make this quick and get you out of here so you can continue the celebration and and the work uh love and squalor volume one yeah volume one there are, how many volumes do you think we're gonna have here there's there's gonna be two um in my head and this is i guess open to a large degree to y'all's professional expertise but um this is it'll they'll comprise two sections of uh, like pretty autobiographical series of music um and then in between we're going to break that up with a kind of a fusion record jazz record nice um but this stuff is more kind of designed to hit more of a mainstream audience you know i, I don't I didn't really want to put a bunch of advanced harmony instrumental stuff in the course of this music because this body of work was like pretty crazy important to me. Um, I started writing it like years and years ago and, you know, really quickly when I got up here, probably 90 days in, we were recording at the tracking room, which is like one of the best rooms in the world with Matt Lay producing and Coffin from Dan Matthews and Bella Fleck and Ryan Mitta, who is the director of jazz at Vandy and was kind of my like employment agency when I got here. Cause I didn't know anybody. I got hooked up with them pretty quick and he helped me like kind of meet the right people really quickly. Um, but as far as this body of work goes, it's one I've been kind of chipping away at for a long time that kind of probably could have come out earlier, but I was, you know, it was my goal to finish it in the highest environment possible and then shop it and then you know we got linked up with you guys and that's kind of a dream come true so 
um yeah but for the song a love like you this is all really really autobiographical kind of dark stuff so hmm. interesting um let, let's uh, let, let's go back. Um, I like to ask the question to, to start off because we, we have musicians come from a lot of different places and different communities. And it's always interesting mm -hmm. to hear what what shaped their 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 musical upbringing. Uh, were you born in Atlanta? Um, yeah, I was I was in Atlanta until I was like, you know, mid single digits or something and then moved to Augusta, Georgia. Ah. Um, my dad, my dad. uh yeah, I was definitely raised in Augusta. My dad, you know, kind of came in and out of paying the bills playing when he was a student when I was a kid. Um, and so, you know, I mean, the first times I was a vertical where was pulling myself up to dance, you know, on a speaker cabinet, like pulling myself up against the speaker. Mm -hmm. So I've, I've kind of I don't really know of a time where I didn't know for sure this is what I wanted to do. Wow. Um, uh, but growing up in a really musically rich household um it was just it was kind of it i mean i don't want to say it was forced on us you know but like you know my mom was away for a lot of it uh i mean there's no other way to say it but to say it so i'm just gonna be crazy transparent with you uh, i grew up with my mom kind of in and out of mental institutions she wasn't around all the time wow. and then especially after my parents split my my dad for a time was kind of in and out of jail but when we were um whenever he was home, you know, we, which was like most of the time we lived with him and he was, you know, good provider, tried to be a stand up dude, you know, did the best he could. But, uh, he on Sundays, you know, we weren't allowed to sleep in. So he'd wake us up crazy early to watch the end of the, the re air of the formula one race. Cause he just wanted his like buddy around, you know? And so we'd wow. watch the end of that. Then he'd make breakfast. And while he's making breakfast, we'd listen to a record and, after side A, there'd be a series of questions that you had to nail before he'd flip it to side B. Really? Otherwise, you ran side A back, you know, and then he'd flip it to side B. And if you got those questions right, you got to go outside until football came on, you know. So what kind most of, of the, you know, ear, oh, everything. VSOP, um, you know, the kind of the nice. quartet records with like Herbie and stuff. Um, wow. Earth, Wind and Fire. It was Augusta, so, you know, a lot of funk jb type stuff sure. um he he was probably more of a rock and roll guy than i am so probably more rock records and i would have i was really interested in but a lot of blues a lot of rock a lot of soul punk jazz he was a big big jazz guy but he wasn't really educated in it so his you know he could only kind of in terms of like how to explain it go as far as the blues idiom mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm. then it was kind of i think that's why i was really attracted to advanced harmony because it was like it felt like you know my punk rock you know it kind of oh, that's like funny the, yeah, my rebellion, rebellion. Yeah. Go, like, yeah. yeah well yeah you know it's it's uh it's funny i mean you know we mentioned atlanta we mentioned folks like grant green and and greg hester mm. and 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 uh you know homage to the great colonel bruce hampton uh it is kind of a more interesting way to come at it than to be raised in a family of, uh, you know, classically trained musicians who send you off to the best jazz school and then find the yeah. blues later, you know? Um, oh, for sure. You yeah. started with the roots. Um, yeah, man. And, and, and truthfully, 
that's the part of it that really comes easy to me. And I have to like kind of stay in touch with that to stay sane when it comes to doing um, more advanced harmony. I, I, I use the term jazz really sparely because it's the you know you have such a profound respect for that kind of hallowed ground and stuff but right. when i do play over more like advanced harmony um there's probably two or three years of my 20s dedicated to forgiving myself for not being from brooklyn you know it's like at the end of the day it's like <laughs> i can use this harmony but it kind of always sounds like it's coming out of a blues player you yeah, know right it kind of always sounds like that's the thing that i do very uh uh naturally and if i try to like if i were to just from an articulation note duration uh not even eighth standpoint try to reflect that it, it can sound disingenuous because i'm not from brooklyn i'm from the deep south and uh i think maybe that's kind of the sauce to hitting your stride as a player is being able to approach these like more high concept things in a way that are um in step with what your like actual dna is as a player fascinating yeah i'm 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 amazed and enamored at the things that come out of uh, uh of 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 the south uh for that for that reason um i remember hearing a quote once uh you know I, re- I was raised in rock and roll really and came to jazz much later but um someone wrote at one point you know that day when the allman brothers single-handedly reclaimed rock and roll <laughs> Uh, from the British. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I remember being in school and hearing that and I didn't know enough about music to know what the difference was. But man, it was it refreshing. You know, uh, it didn't sound oh, like old blues, yeah. but it, it had all of that. Well, and yeah, and if you read uh, Sky Dog, the Dwayne Allman biography, you know, he talks a lot about how informative kind of blue and some of the more modal jazz uh, records were informative on on his playing and and therefore the bands where, you know, um, I mean, they're not Elmer Brothers aren't reinventing harmony, but it's a it's significantly more complex than a lot of the stuff that was coming out at the time in terms of the arrangements. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, Dwayne and Dickie were like huge pieces of the puzzles early. My You know, my my pops really came from that school most. Hmm. um and i was really big into the you know stevie thing um i wanted to be stevie and jimmy when i was a kid and so yeah but that's the kind of part of your play i feel like whatever you're doing in your formative years it kind of sticks with you you know mm-hmm. and so i i think a lot of that almond brothers stuff is like just in it you know and i'm not putting myself in that arena as a player but it's definitely the fingerprints of of that uh kind of club are are really influential in the way I approach music, whether I want it to be or not, which is honestly can be annoying. Well, I mean, the, the thing, I can't step outside of that. You know? Yeah. The thing is that more, more people can, can appreciate and maybe not, you don't have to have a, a, a strong musical background to understand it, regardless of how complex it gets and how good the player is. Mm-hmm. You can just enjoy it, you know? Um, right. The Allman Brothers always reference King Curtis, and I think that kind of puts it right in the middle there, you know? 100%. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, and, and really being being able to modernize kind of the Elmore James thing. Like you hear you hear the departure from Elmore James to Dwayne and then from Dwayne to Derek, you know? Mm. And it's it's you can kind of trace that lim- lineage, you know? Um, in, you know, by the time it's Derek, it's got the 
imprint of the Indian classical music. And that's a whole nother thing because there's no harmony. You know, it's kind of a drone note and we're working in um, divisions of harmony that are significantly smaller than a half step. And, you know, put Ali Akbar Khan, Srinivas, Nursad Fatih Ali Khan, like a lot of that Indian classical stuff I think is going to come back to be influential on the blues. Like it's crazy how, you know, devotional music kind of works that way. Yeah. And the world today um, is, is encouraging so much more uh, uh, blending uh, mm -hmm. while at the same time searching for authenticity within, within a, a given style of music. We're seeing more and more things come uh, from around the world that, uh, that dig in and tell the story. Of, but it, but are also changed, you know. I mean, mm -hmm. Christian Scott is a is, is a great example. So I think he's the example. <clears throat> hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people are doing what he does, um, not what he does specifically, but to, but on the same path, let's say. But mm -hmm. um, he is particularly articulate about the mission. He's very clear right. that that's what that's that he started out that way. It didn't just kind of happen. He's like, this is exactly what I want to do. And, uh, you know, our job is to just follow that. <laughs> you know, let's go. That's I mean, I, I, I know you know this, but that's really refreshing to hear from a label, you know, like that's not every label's art focused in that way, you know. And so it's a it's a it's a really big honor to kind of be in that sort of company and with that kind of mind frame, because, you know, a lot of artists could easily be with somebody who is less willing to, um, yeah, be down for a more worldly cross genre view of things. Yeah. Well, thanks. I mean, it, you know, it, the, the simple truth of it is, uh, it, it comes from me not knowing, not, not playing music. <laughs> so knowing that I'm in, I'm, <laughs> I'm in a, an area that I don't, that I'm not an expert at, and it comes from me not having any experience in the music business when I started. So I'm like, okay, I don't know what's going on here. Who's Doing got the, the goods? Uh, sounds like the artists have most of this together. Uh, let's follow them. You know, like, <laughs> they need a, you know yeah, they, nobody told me that you weren't supposed to do it that way, you know? Um, and I've had great conversations, uh, you know, with the, the analogy that comes up all the time is, you know, where does, where does the water come from? And, uh, you know, you can turn on the tap and say, there it is. That's where the water comes from. But anybody with some sense knows that it's coming from somewhere else. And and I feel the same way about art and music that, you know, it, it's it's not even necessarily coming from you. It's coming through you. So you've got to be in the right position. And the oh, right, yeah. The right atmosphere. Yeah. Go ahead. And yeah, I mean, I've been really I've been really lucky about that specifically. Right. Yeah. Is my dad was really big about preaching your role is kind of like the intermediary between this idea and the audience, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and he would just say your his way of framing. It was like, you're a lightning rod when I, cause I would ask him like, well, how do you do that? And he'd be like, well, this, you're just kind of the pass through for this thing. I'm like, I, and I just Amazing. couldn't, you know, that's a tough, like philosophical thing to tell a child. Right. And I'm like, no, no, there's rules and regulations to this. I know it. And there really aren't. You know, but I mean, it, so that extends from like as an improviser, right? Like when people use the umbrella term jazz, you it's easy to use that in terms of genre specificity. And then you're like, but that's like saying rock. Like, are you talking about Metallica or the Eagles? Right. And so when you use the <laughs> word jazz, it's like you could be talking about Louis Armstrong or 
you know, the Philadelphia experiment. Like, right. I, I mean, it's a, it's a broad thing. And so really at the end of the day, jazz is a process. It's the lightning rod. Like yeah. my pops was talking about when you're, when you're doing it well, when you're spontaneously composing, the thing about it is your canvas is time. You know, if Chaucer's making Canterbury Tales or Picasso's making Guernica, if they don't dig what they're doing, they can just not show it to people. But if somebody paid at the door, you can't throw away the moment if you're fucking up. <laughs> like, you know, right. you, your canvas is 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 moving. It's we're all experiencing it together. I think that's one of the things that make spontaneous composition really um, kind of the high peak art and really that moves forward into like like just art existing you know like you're either you know i think it art lives in a way where you are sort of the filter and by you i mean the composer of whatever art like it doesn't have to be music you can be a sculptor or whatever but like you're either there's some societal pressure if it's like i can't pay my rent or my girl or fella or whatever or the government or whatever it is like there's some pressure and then through the catharsis of art you're master of the movable components of this thing and and you can kind of like it's soothing to be that that's part of it and mm-hmm. part of it is when you're composing for the sake of having had something to say and that doesn't always yield the best art but it's really important to do because it keeps your chops up you know so you know what to do when you are inspired but really for the most part what you're aiming for is those lightning rod moments where this thing kind of existed in its entirety and I really more than writing am having the discipline to just keep the antenna up and be there to kind of be the stenographer when it shows up, Hmm. you know, and I I think that creates the most high value art, you know, and and that's true for the moments when you're, you know, spontaneously composing live. I I think that's also true when, when it comes to the actual creative process. think all art is is political no not at all i think i think i think art is really childish in nature Hmm. you know i think that's one of the i think that's one of the reasons i can i got good is because it's kind of like what what you what you said earlier like when i started no one told me the right way to do it Hmm. right and i think at your best when you're playing you know if you have to practice you know, that means sitting down with a goal, sharpening what your sense of what you're trying to get better at, probably accenting your weaknesses instead of your strengths. And, it, you know, there's a fair amount of forethought and planning and things that go into that. And that's crazy important. And you should do it. You should do it all the time. You have to do it all the time. But the way to I, I played for years before I even knew how to practice. I was playing with Ike before I even really understood how to practice. I had a bad wrist injury where I only had about 15 minutes in me hmm. to practice. And then all of a sudden you have to get a lesson planned, you know? Um, but before that, I would just play all the time. You're playing though. It's, it's this really like, if you never stop approaching it like a child, you, it's easy to stay um, engaged because it's, it's what you want to be doing. You know, it's a, it's a really like playful thing. And so, no, I don't, I don't think it has to be political. I think it can be, you know? Well, I just wonder, I think I, I, we can point to the, Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. 
No, I, I just wonder if, if, if uh, you know, if po if politics is the uh, discussion of, you know, wh wh how we're going to be as a as a culture or as a, as a nation or as humans, uh, then for me, all art is some kind of a statement uh, about where where we should be headed. Uh, I kind of read it. Maybe, that way. maybe yeah. to that degree, it's political. Yeah, I think if you frame it like that, maybe being but a child I, in an adult also, world is is an act, is is an act of political uh, opposition. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. So yeah, I don't know. That's a that's a complex question. I don't know. I think it's probably a little of both. Um, but you know, I think when you start having an agenda for art as a starting place. Mm -hmm you you you're gonna you're missing out on a lot of playful things there you go i want to talk about it sounds like you were just right in the game from the get-go but um do do you view writing and performing as a as a courageous act because to me it feels like there's no. a whole lot of courage involved no no i don't think it's courageous at all no hmm. I think it's courageous to not do it. You know, I think like it's easy to be like, I mean, I don't, maybe there's a different prism, you know, in other areas. I can only speak to what it was like in mine, but in Augusta, Georgia, you know, if you're not James Brown and you want to go into music, it's kind of a series of questions that follow it. It's like, well, what's your backup plan? And what's this? And what's this? Right, right. You know, and it's like if you don't have any of that stuff, you're, like, you're not James. People Brown. aren't really ready to. I'm not James Brown. Yeah, no one, no one is. Right. And uh, I, I think that's the most important person in the music I make. Hmm. Um, so that that's the top of the hallowed ground to me. Him, Ray Brown, uh, Dexter Gordon, Steve Ray Vaughan. Those are the. Those are the big. That's kind of my Mount Rushmore, but and, and then Dwayne, Stevie, Derek, all that, like the blues players, the Three Kings, all that stuff aside. But those four guys are, I think, the kind of element mm. of sauce. But if you're if, when you're coming up in Augusta specifically, like we well, are not that guy. The bar got set so high, <laughs> you know, like like who can you point to that's not Miles? If it's not James Brown, in terms of like, no, I made a genre, you know what I mean? Right. And so, well, Ray Charles is up there for me, but but I think that in popular culture, you I mean you don't have to look at you know just look at any music video since James Brown and any any right. public performance, yeah. it's and they're all just doing the James Brown. You know, Michael Jackson, right? Bless him, was doing the James Brown. You like, know? Yeah, exactly. And yeah. Bruno Mars and yeah. like whoever yeah. Michael Jackson begets whatever. But whatever Michael Jackson begets is James, you yep. know. Yep. And and there's and there's people who really do it right. Like Gabriel Roth, the producer, bass player, I, I think is like he's he's a he's Talking a about huge Dap hero Dap of mine. What's that? Daptone Records, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bosco yeah, Man. he's the. I mean, he's the guy. Yeah, he's so good. Him, Binky, Grip Tight, that whole like school of of dudes and it was funny when i met him i asked him about this article he wrote called the anatomy of a heavy funk 45 and i was like just regurgitating shit and you could see him kind of he deflated a little you know and he was like hey man don't listen to any of that shit i did not know what i was talking about <laughs> and then i continued forward only list like just citing that article to other musicians at any given moment fucking up people's van rides you know 
um but there's people who i think catch the jb thing the right way you know uh, i think gabriel roth can make a record and it sounds like it's the mid 60s you know but for the most part that stuff is best left where it is i used to work i used to work with them uh doing the fulfillment with all the 45s in fact i think i have one of every 45 up to 2008 somewhere in here of dap tones yeah I, and in the bag that's fantastic so, yeah. oh my god that's so cool yeah um but there's no dates on them <laughs> so he delivered they deliberately did not put the date on and so they're selling in europe as if they were recorded in the 60s people right did, people didn't of know. course you know and i had the great pleasure of meeting uh an augusta native as well sharon jones uh oh my god she is she the best just, yeah yeah unbelievable and and he had that band really sounding like that. All the transitions in between songs, the production. I mean, I she Rehearsing. if anybody was gonna get close, it would be her. Uh, Greg Hester, honestly, is pretty close. I've done some JB like tribute shows with him um when I was playing nice. horn. But yeah, and he get he gets close, but that's it's a small club. Well, he spent a lot of time with, with them and we we you know, he recorded a bunch of tracks with that entire band after Mr. Brown passed um oh my god we put a, we put i did a, not know that i've got to listen to these records we put one out called uh soul brother where art thou which is a 10 or 11 uh uh that is James such Brown a songs. Oh yeah. um, i'm running that you know, colonel bruce is on there raul malo greg hester yeah go ahead get, get that is, is keith is keith on that all over it yeah the whole band That's i mean so the, they were all they all just got together in nashville at um at a house in East Nashville, the famous house. Uh, oh, he up here, Eric McConnell's place, uh, where Loretta Lynn did that that great record, um, and just recorded all these instrumental tracks, and then he put the vocals on later. Uh, John Popper's on it. Um, Shannon Morrison. There's a bunch. It, it's it's a great record. So it's called Soul Brother. Where art thou? Mm-hmm. That's fucking fantastic. Greg's, Greg's I, Greg's, yeah. dude, I. I've never known more than I'm in the right place in terms of label than this moment. That's <laughs> the best thing I've ever heard. It's a, I'm proud. I'm proud of that record. I'm proud of all the Greg Hester records. And, uh, but that one particularly is pretty amazing. Um, Keith Jenkins. Uh, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to spin that right when I get out of here. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I, I want to ask is the man, dude. I, I used to, I got sunned by Keith. Yeah. I was like a kid. Yeah, I was I was I was probably playing three notes to six notes for every note he played, and in my head at the time I was like, I'm ripping this guy apart. This is I'm the best. <laughs> and then I opened my eyes. Every time I was playing, people are like on their phones talking, drinking, whatever. And every time he played, people are just you know head on their hands watching yeah. every move. And I but Keith really made me understand I needed to master the simplicities of the instrument. I I, I mean, I I've told him before. But I don't know. I don't think he knows what a big piece of the puzzle he was. Yeah, he's something. Well, we had uh, Greg and band open for Sharon Jones in uh, Charlottesville, I believe, uh, or Richmond. I can't remember which. Um, and of course, you know, the opener, everybody's at the back of the room, back of the bar, you know, and then Keith, with them. Keith just started playing. And all of a sudden, you know, 50, 200 people just moved all fully across this room, right. you know, to the front. Like, let's see what's, see what's, He's the what's dude. happening. Yeah. He's the goat. What was the, uh, didn't you tell me a story about him being like the suit 
and then y'all were smashing. Uh, like, that was that show. Yeah. yeah, he said. He said. Oh, it was that show. <laughs> yeah, he said suits are in the house. When we went to the bar I, before they went on, I said, "No, I got the bill." And he's like, "Suits are in the house," and they just—I mean, they racked up a bar bill in within ten minutes. That was. I still don't understand Hundreds. it. I still don't understand it. How 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 that's possible? Oh, and then went right up. Hester can find a place to put it. And did the, the last thing. time I played yeah. with him, he was drinking Grand Marnier in one hand all night and PBR Tall Boys in the other because I had to do both sides. Got to do the balance. <laughs> yeah. Well, man, we could chat. We could chat all day about Augusta. We're gonna come back. Um, but I, I, you know, a love like yours. Um, this is gonna be out on October fifteenth. Um, can you break down the band? And, a love like and you. A love like you. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's okay. Um, so CWF in its core is me, Emma Moorcroft, Leland Rooney, and Michael T. Brink. Um, that's kind of the the brain trust. Um, we were working with uh, Vincent Williams on drums for a long time, but I think he's going to spend uh, the, kind of the fall touring with Bryn Joy. Like, he's doing, like, Bonnaroo and shit. Like, I think he's doing Bonnaroo on our next hit. Um, but he he's a big part of the sound, too. Um, on the video for that, it's Josh Reynolds playing drums, who will be playing on our hit in uh, Columbia September 3rd. Um, but yeah, it's it's a brain trust of like kind of the I mean, it, it legitimately just happens to be a lot of my best friends um, who also happen to be some of the greatest players in the world. You know, wow. like I don't know piano players or guitar players with the harmony knowledge that uh, our bass player does like it's it's awe inspiring and when we give you guys the kind of the funk fusion record you'll you'll hear it there's some solos that you'll think are guitar solos that is just michael being a total animal Hmm. um and so uh and at the time we're working a lot with uh, this fantastic singer uh amberly winfrey and her husband uh uh, trevor cadell and i was just i think i played there i played amberly's uh master's recital and she had kind of a square band uh for it and they more or less bought me in to make it a little more uh we'll we'll use a term organic um (laughs) and so uh is it the beard but one yeah (laughs) i was yeah i don't know i don't know i don't know what her motivations are i'm a hack so uh but we but i i just really liked the song like some of them were covers and then um but this one was it was one she wrote and we um i just like i kind of couldn't i knew there was like a better way to do the song and so i was just like guys we're not going to be at this intersection of resources and talent and drive for very long and Mm. so um, and we need we needed proof of concept. You know, the only thing was up was this funky EP that we did that what had been like, you know, half of it was recorded in basements and shit. It was like really um I don't want to say slapped together, but it was like some of the stuff was recorded in basements, some of the stuff was recorded in studios, one of the tunes was recorded in the tracking room. Like there's just a wide array of sonic uh mm-hmm, mm-hmm. integrity in it. You know, it very much sounds like a first work of somebody. Um, even though it's it's good rhyme, there's some killing playing on it. Um, Roy Ag from uh, Prince's trombone player plays on. It. I mean, there's, there's some there's some cats, but um, with this song in particular, um, that was kind of also when I I realized people are hearing with their eyes now, um, and they you know they need to see a, a live thing. Especially, it seems like when it comes to really large ensemble stuff, like people tend to appreciate it more 
when they can see the information. Um, they, it's, it's easier to intuit how much goes into it. And so um, I was like, I'm going to spend all the money I have and then more on like a film crew and then, you know, whatever else we write. And we kind of wrote for specific people. Like the trumpet parts are crazy rangy because we wrote them for a specific dude. And mm -hmm. uh, um, Claude Caillé is playing trombone on it. He's like, you know, one of the best dudes doing it. I can't even believe he moved here. It's, it's, it's fantastic. He's a killing like salsa, like Latin band arranger. Um, but all that to say, there's, there's a lot of killing dudes on it. And it was really like, we'd made the decision that we're going to film a tune live and that we're the kind of the MO for all of it was let's see what happened if we swing for the fences. And so, you know, I had learned moving up here when we were playing with coffin and Ryan meta that like, okay, people will say yes to you if you ask, if they got nothing else going on. So let's see how far we can take that in terms of the personnel, you know? So we called the baddest session dudes and, and live dudes we could. I mean, Javon Quelo's on that. He's like one of the most in demand uh, reads players in town. Trevor Cadell obviously is on it. He's killing. Like, I mean, it's just, it's a nightmare band. And we, we kept it at this awesome kind of stance between a really gospel rhythm section with mm -hmm. no charts and just like a rep at the tune. Mm -hmm. And then all the BGVs and all the horns, obviously you're, you're charted out, but it's like a 53 page score. I mean, there's a lot of wow. information in that three and a half minutes. Um, and so we worked for probably three and a half months on just scoring it out, you know, just wow. kind of building the vision. And then, um, I remember laying on my back in my apartment the night before and just like almost crying because I was like, I don't know how I'm going to pay for this. Like I played for the, I played the electric guitar for a living. Like this is a, <laughs> and everybody is showing up to that studio tomorrow. <laughs> so I like took out a loan on the biz on my private events business. And I did all, you know, I just, I found a way to get the musicians paid and, um, I paid for half of the videography up front and then my car broke down and I walked to the grocery store for like five months because wow. my car was broken. And when I had money to fix my car, I finished editing the video. <laughs> so wow. it was really a labor of love for about a year. Well, you uh, heard it here. That's there's a reason to buy so he can do that again. <laughs> yeah, yeah oh and so can, so i'm now i'm just joking again. about it which and is he, like, and even drive you... his car to the gig yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uber ubers take a lot off a gig for sure <laughs> yeah help help craig get his car fixed uh man thank you so much for 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 putting music into the world for for following your calling uh and for taking the risks that you do uh, to do this. I'm excited. Uh, I hope people are excited uh, about this first single and I'm really looking forward to 2022 and, and hearing a full length. So Craig Waters, once again, thank you. Oh man, thank you. I, this is like, I, like I told you earlier, man, I'm not blowing smoke. I really think this is probably the best home for what we do that there is. And it's just a, it's a real dream of mine that we get to have our big ideas in such a welcoming place because sometimes it feels like you're having big ideas for the sake of having them and mm -hmm. you don't know what the distinction between you and the tastemakers you look to really is and uh you know it, it's a really humbling thing to kind of feel in, like you're in the club you know so beautiful we're just stoked for the opportunity and we're gonna go attack it 
All right, I'm going to take it out with uh, some more of this track. 